on Sunday school this morning, and we praise the Lord for you being here. And God is good to us. We celebrate uh, 42 years this morning. Amen. And boy, that is, uh, you know what, that is a generation right there. That's a generation, I think about that. I guess 40 years is a generation. And so, uh, two of them, maybe two of them, yeah. The way it feels this morning, maybe three, who knows, but I do want to welcome you, and thank you for being here. Uh, it, uh, we, we're going to open with a word of prayer, and then I'm going to turn the service over, our Sunday school time over to Brother uh, Steve Pickett, and uh, he's, going to, uh, he's going to give you uh, the Sunday school lesson this morning. I have basically two prayer requests this morning. Ms. Terry Williamson wants us to be praying for the uh, Siebert family. Uh, they... Uh, their their house uh, burnt down. It's a total loss, and a friend of hers. So be praying for the family there, if you will. And then uh, Brother Russ uh, Clark has a request from his Brenda Ramsey, uh, the pancreatic cancer, and she just started uh, chemo. So remember her in prayer, if you will. Uh, Clyde Moyer in prayer for his stroke, and then Miss Coley uh, Rochester, and uh, uh, keep her numbers. Uh, up, if you will, and God just help her there. And so we want to want to just simply thank God for His goodness this morning. Let's pray. Our dear Father, we love you today. We do thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for your faithfulness for these all these years. And Lord, thank you for your leadership. And Lord, how uh, you have led us uh, in a clear, plain path. Thank you for your Word. Thank you most of all for the Lord Jesus. And Lord, made salvation full and free for each one to all that believe. And I pray today that, Lord, as Brother Steve comes, I pray you'll anoint his mind and his heart, and you'll help him this day. And Lord, just bless in the service to follow. And Lord, we'll commit ourselves to you today. Thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for your grace and your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother Steve, you'll come, my friend. I'm glad to be here this morning, glad to see all of you this morning, especially all the food that's being brought in. <clears throat> Didn't get a chance to go down there and see what it was, but I'm sure it'll be good. I'm looking forward to that. And congratulations to the pastor and his wife for 42 years here. That's uh, more and more unusual in the days in which we live. And uh, I appreciate the ministry that's here and the good foundation. And the reason I use that word is because that's what the Sunday school class is going to be about. It's going to be about a foundation. Uh, I want you to try to figure out what foundation I'm going to be looking for in just a moment. But everything falls apart if the foundation is not right. And foundations are very important. Uh, now we know... Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. <clears throat> and obviously, when you take that passage of Scripture, the foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, I never, years ago, I heard a message. It was Lester Roloff who preached the message. How many of you have ever heard the name Lester Roloff? You know who I'm talking about? Wonderful. He preached the message, and at the time I heard the message, I did not know who he was. But I never forgot the message, and later I found out it was Lester Roloff that I was listening to on that cassette recording that I had gotten. And uh, he said, <clears throat> you know, everything around us is geared for power. He said, 
automobiles are made, and they're made with stronger engines all the time, faster engines, because man is interested in things that have power. And he says, you get in a car and you crank it up, and it's according to who's driving it. If it's the adult driving, perhaps it's put, 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 put. But if it's the teenager driving, a lot of power in that car. And man's making stronger engines all the time. He said, who made the engine? Man did, because man is interested in things that have power. Then he said, think about an airplane, an airplane, maybe a 747, four engines, Think about the weight of the airplane. Think about all of the passengers on the airplane. Think about all the luggage on the airplane. And that airplane moving horizontally goes down the runway and eventually the front wheel comes up, back wheels comes up, and all of a sudden tons of material are in the air flying. Powerful engines to get a 747 off the ground. Who made those engines? Man did because man is interested in things that have power. Think about a train, he said. Maybe there's a hundred cars on the track, all loaded, and the engines up front begin to move until eventually that train is put in motion, tons of dead weight sitting there, and that train is put in motion going down the railroad track 30, 40, 50 miles an hour. Who made those engines? Man, man made those engines because man is interested in things that have power. Then he went to Cape Canaveral, Cape Kennedy, whatever it's called today, and there you have the rocket sitting on the pad. Five engines. Heretofore, we've been moving horizontally, but now we're going to move vertically. When those five engines ignite, tons of fuel are burned, and we have liftoff. I have been in Titusville, Florida, when there was a liftoff seven miles away across the water, and it's amazing you can feel the concussion of the wind blowing seven miles away. It's unbelievable to witness. But there we have liftoff. Who, who made those engines? Man did because man is interested in things that have power. And then I'll never forget what Lester Olaf said. Everything around us is geared for power. But sometimes the most powerless people on the face of the earth are God's people. Powerless to overcome sins that beset them. Powerless to be consistent in their Christian life. Powerless to do those things that are right to do always. Powerless. And he said, such should not be the case. For in you dwells the power of the universe. He who can do all things dwells within you. And that's what Paul meant when he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. We have no strength in and of ourselves, but we have all the strength we need available to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we could say this morning that Christ certainly is a dominant foundation that's needed in our life. But what is it that I need that would make my life more effective? Everything depends upon a good foundation. You can look at that in Matthew chapter 7 if you want to jot it down. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, it begins in chapter 5, continues in chapter 6, and then into chapter 7, and he highlights the importance of a foundation. 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, the Bible says, Wherefore, uh, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation, but the sayings of mine, the sayings, what Jesus is teaching, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, which becomes now for us the word of God. So I would say that not only is Jesus foundational, but the word of God, of course, is foundational. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And of course, the rock, reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, foundational. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened to a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The same rain came, the same floods came, the wind blew, and that house fell, and great was the fall of it. Obviously, the foundation was the key. And the foundation in this passage were the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. So two things are foundational, Lord Jesus Christ himself, and then the words of the Lord Jesus Christ are what we have, the word of God. Obviously, it's foundational. King David, Psalm 11, verse 3, there's an interesting statement. Psalm 11, 3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? That statement could be read differently as if it was indicating something distressful. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? But this statement is not a statement where he's in distress because there is something the righteous can do. He is simply highlighting the importance of the foundation and there is something that can be done if the foundations are being destroyed. They need to be strengthened. So Paul often speaks of foundations. 1 Corinthians, eventually I'm going to get to the foundation I'm looking for. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse number 9, Paul is talking about foundations here. For we are laborers together with God, you're God's husbandry, you're God's building, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereupon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Christ Jesus. So Paul is pointing to the fact that the foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me talk about some obvious thoughts regarding foundation. I know there are some builders here, or people who do some remodeling from time to time. I taught my boys, everything depends upon a foundation, no matter what you're doing. Everything depends upon a foundation. So here are some obvious thoughts. You always need to start with a good foundation because if the foundation is right at the beginning, everything else goes a lot better. A good foundation is important. 
Number two, it's hard to fix a broken foundation, but it's not impossible. Mike Elstock, Mike Elstock was at Fairfax Baptist Temple when I first came 30 years ago at Fairfax Baptist Temple. He later left to start a church in the area in Reston, Virginia. But Mike had uh, lived in the house that they had lived there since he was a young person. And uh, they were having foundational problems. And it's just right down the road from where I live, foundational problems. So they had to fix the foundation. Foundations can be fixed. They brought in a company and they lifted the house up, the entire house. It was a ranch-style house. They lifted the whole house up to fix the foundation. Now, if the foundation had been right to start with, there wouldn't have been a problem. It's hard to fix a broken foundation, but it's not impossible. But after they picked the house up, Mike had this bright idea. Since it is so easy to pick the whole house up, why don't we pick it up further and put another story up under it? And so they strengthened the foundation so that it would hold the two-story house, and they put another story on it, and then they set the house down on the story that they built, and now it's a two-story house. But it was expensive, and it was a lot of problems to go through to fix the foundation, but it can be done. A third thing I note is everything depends upon a foundation. I do a lot of remodeling. A lot of people in Fairfax Baptist Temple, they know what I have the ability to do. My dad was a contractor. I grew up that way. And so when we built a house, some of you might remember the old days when we built a house, we built a house. You did everything. Now everything is compartmentalized. You know, there are people who do framing. There are people who do concrete work. There are people who do electrical. There are people who do plumbing. When we built a house, we just built the house. And so I grew up knowing a little bit about everything. But I also grew up knowing that everything is determined upon a good foundation. I'll give you an example. If you've got a a stud wall, two by four studs all the way down, you've got a stud wall, and one is sticking proud, sticking out a little bit further, um, it would be wise to go ahead and fix that two by four before you put sheetrock on the wall. Because if you put sheetrock on the wall and you sight down the wall, you're going to have a bow in your wall because the foundation wasn't right. Now, we can mask the problem. It's going to be an interesting word in just a moment. We can mask the problem. In other words, I can take as a mud man, I can take mud on one side of that two by four, and I can put a lot of mud on this side, I can put a lot of mud on this side, and when you look at it from the front, it would look like it's a flat wall. But if you go sight down it, what are you going to see? You're still going to see a bow in the wall, no matter how much you have to mask, because the bow is still there. If you had fixed the foundational problem, there would not have been a problem. It's true in painting. Sometimes in painting, if if you don't put the right undercoat, whatever you put on top would peel away. Everything depends upon the foundation. I had a family, the Groovers. Remember the Groovers? I had the, uh, the, you don't remember Mrs. She was probably gone before you got there. Anyway, they called me over to their house because they wanted to put a wood floor. They had taken the carpet up. I took the carpet up, and the floor was just waving like that. And I said, I don't need a level floor, but I need a flat one if I'm going to put wood here, or the wood floor is going to do that as well. And so I had to pull up the underlayment, and when I pulled it up, I was shocked. All the floor joists were there. They were all there but they were in different locations. 
I had, you know, four drawers should be 16 inches apart or 20 inches apart, but uh, I had one that was 32 inches apart. I had one that was six inches. I had one that was eight inches. I had one that was 16 inches. They were all there, but they were just there. And that's why the floor had all the waves in it. And so I had to fix the foundation, had to sister other joists to it to get the joists flat so we could have a flat floor. No matter what you're doing, the foundation is what's important. And the foundation in our life is also something that needs to be strengthened. Everything depends upon a foundation. We always say in sports, you know, foundational skills are important. In basketball, foundational skills are important. Uh, I see a lot of hot shots sometimes in basketball, you know. But if you don't get the fundamentals down, the foundations down, you'll never be a good basketball player. Even Zig Ziglar said this, the foundation stones for a balanced success, in other words, to be successful in life, he said there's foundational stones. He said it's honesty, character, integrity, faith, love, and loyalty. Foundation produces success. So what's the foundation that makes the greatest difference? And what's the foundation that I would be looking for this morning? We've already mentioned the foundation is Jesus Christ. I already mentioned the foundation is the word of God. But I'm going to say for us this morning, a foundation that often goes without much thought is the foundation of prayer. And someone said, oftentimes many Christians have learned to live the Christian life without the power of God. Prayer is foundational to the Christian's life. And any of us or all of us can strengthen our prayer life, including myself, any of us. Oftentimes, we go through problems without praying about them. D.L. Moody said this, I'd rather be able to pray than be a great preacher. He said further, Jesus Christ never taught his disciples how to preach. He taught them how to pray because prayer was the foundation. And consider this, he said, if Jesus prayed so fervently, how much more do we need to do so? If he prayed so fervently so often. Perhaps he said the worst Sin that we commit is our prayerlessness. Does it not suggest, Lord, I can handle all this on my own? Someone said, No one stands taller than when he's on his knees. We should pray at the beginning of everything, not when we're in distress. Though we can pray when we're in distress, but we should have prayed before. Not when we've tried everything else. <laughs> Often I've heard that statement. Well, there's nothing else we can do. We might as well pray. <clears throat> Years ago, I was in Memphis, Tennessee. We had started Calvary Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Another couple who had graduated from Tennessee, Tem Ten uh, Tennessee Temple University moved to Memphis area to start a church as well. It was Marilyn and A.C. Ford. It wasn't A.C. 
His name was literally A.C. I've never known anybody with the name of A.C. A.C. Ford, they started a church in Memphis. We heard the testimony that had taken place in their life, and we had them come to our church to give the testimony in person. It's amazing what God did in Marilyn Ford's life. I may have told the story here before, but as I was preparing these thoughts, I had another thought that came to my mind that I would like to one day ask her. We had them come, and he stood in the pulpit to start the testimony. He said, you know, my wife is blind. My wife one night asked, AC, you know something we've never done? He said, what's that? We've never prayed and asked God to give me my sight. And he said, as he was giving the testimony, well, Marilyn, there are some things you just have to accept that this is God's will for your life. And she said, well, don't you think God can give me my sight? And he said, yes, I believe God can give you your sight. But he said, in truth, I did not believe one word I just said. He said, I knew those were the right words to say. I mean, after all, I've been to Bible school. I'm now the pastor of the church, and I knew those were the right words to say. But I did not believe God would give her her sight in truth. He's given us this testimony in person. And she said, well, I think we ought to pray. And he said, in deference to my wife, I knelt on my knees. My wife knelt beside the bed, and I prayed first. And he said, folks, you would have been proud of me. I prayed all the right words because I know all the right words to pray. He said, it was a wonderful prayer. He said, but I did not believe one word I was praying. And then my wife started praying. And when she started praying, she started in just a few seconds screaming. I can see, I can see, I can see. And he said... I thought that was the biggest trick my wife had ever pulled on me to make me think that she could see. But in that moment, she received her sight. You can go online, look up Marilyn Ford, blind, and her testimony will come up, and you can read it in her own words. And that day, she received her sight. In the preparation of these thoughts, there was something I would like to ask Marilyn because I heard the testimony. I'd like to say, Marilyn, you made the statement, honey, you know there's something we've never done? What's that? We've never prayed and asked God to give me my sight. I'd like to ask her, why did you wait till now? Don't you think God could have given her sight five years earlier, ten years earlier, twenty years earlier? The answer would be, well, sure. Sometimes I think we go through a lot of situations of life Dealing with the situations without beginning with prayer. Asking God for his help in a situation like that. You know, today, we face some pretty rough things. Society around us is changing. It's going to be changing rapidly for our young people. I think we are more than any other time in my personal lifetime, we are in a cultural war right now. It's going to affect our young people. There's an attempt to undermine scripture and everything that the Bible proclaims. There's a cultural tsunami that has arrived, and it has arrived rapidly in the last few years. 
There's confusion over gender. Bible is clear about it. There's confusion over sex. Bible is clear about it. Many of our young people will end up perhaps going to some of these woke secular colleges and being influenced by what's taking place in culture today. And sometimes when we address these issues, sometimes we're addressed to being political. Some say it's a political war and that we need not be involved as a church. But is it a political war to say there's a difference between a man or a woman? Isn't it interesting you watch some of the testimonies on Capitol Hill, can you tell me what a woman is? And the woman could not. Remember watching that testimony and I thought, how dumb people are over the simplest things. Even our president says there's more than, there's at least three sexes, at least three genders. That's not the only thing he's wrong about either. (laughs) Is it a political war to say that marriage is between a man and a woman? Or is it a spiritual war? Is it a political war to say that sexual deviancy must not be normalized because it destroys the nuclear family? Is it a political war or is it a biblical war? By the way, the devil knows where to attack. He will attack a foundation because if you can destroy a foundation, everything above it will crumble. What was the first thing removed from public schools? Prayer. Why? Because it's foundational. And it's still a battle. Uh, There's a Christian school out in Spokane, Washington. I've been following them during their football season. They're in a very small community, and they, as a Christian school, play public schools. It's interesting the battle that they have had as they gather their team in the middle of the field to pray before a game and after a game and how they're being attacked because of their prayer. I mean, it's something that started years ago, but it's still being faced today. Some are doing so successfully, and I appreciate the football teams and the coaches that do it, but others are still being attacked because they want to pray. The devil's pretty smart to know where to attack. Take your Bible, and want you to see something interesting that often goes unnoticed in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we have here the armor of God. But I want you to notice something about the passage that I would like for you to mark in your Bible regarding having the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6. And verse number 11, familiar passage. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It's necessary. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. The necessity of having the armor of God is obvious. Verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, 
taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to stand, able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, you have all of the armor of God. But at this point, one might just be a well-dressed soldier having all the armor of God on. There's something that precedes this passage of Scripture and something that follows this passage of Scripture that needs to be highlighted. Before verse 11, go back to verse 10. Before we had the whole implementation of the armor of God, notice verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, putting on the armor of God and going into battle. In other words, with all the armor of God, we may still be an, an, an ineffective soldier because we're not going in the power of his might. So how do I get the power of God upon my life? I suggest it comes through the medium of prayer. Praying before we go into battle as we're wearing the armor of God. But then notice at the end of the passage in verse number 18, it begins with prayer. It concludes with prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel. Notice it begins with prayer. It ends with prayer. Because in our own strength, we will fail. If we go into battle, we may, we may exist for a period of time because there are certainly some things that we can do in our own ability, but eventually we come to the end of our ability, but we never come to the end of God's ability. And so I'll remind us with all the armor that prayer really is the mightiest weapon we have at our disposal. Someone said evil, retreats on its, uh, evil never retreats on its own. <clears throat> it only retreats when a greater force is applied against it. And I'm not the greater force, nor are any of us. It's God who's the greater force. So when you pray... Number one, pray in faith. <laughs> Why pray if you don't believe God can answer? Somebody said, Why pray when you can worry yourself to death? <clears throat> Secondly, pray trusting God, trusting that God will do what He says He will do. Thirdly, pray fervently. Because the Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Sometimes I'm guilty as anyone is. We pray and sometimes we just pray words rather than praying fervently with, with passion. Passionate intensity is what it means to pray fervently. James chapter 5 and verse 16. And then according to the passage, pray ceaselessly, pray always, pray until the answer comes. Sometimes 
We have prayer requests that we are given at church. And we may pray about that one time and it never enters our thought again. But the Bible teaches us to pray without ceasing. Pray until the answer comes. Pray until we see the results. I'm going to pose some questions for you to think about. First question is this, why pray? There are two things I would like to suggest. It acknowledges God in the battle. When we go into a situation that is a difficult situation, it's acknowledging the fact that we need God and that we can't handle these things on our own. And secondly, it acknowledges the fierceness of the battle. Because the Bible says we battle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We are no match for this type of a battle. But with God, we are. Romans 8.37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him, not through our strength. A second question to pose, when are we to pray? And of course the passage in 6.18 here in Ephesians tells us praying always, praying always. Our life ought to be lived as we're walking along, as we're sitting, as we're having a meal, as we're driving our car, our mind should always be on the things of God, asking God for help in every situation of life, praying always. Luke 18 and verse 1, Jesus speaking, he said, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. You know, sometimes God answers prayer because of our importunity. Um, I have a dog. <clears throat> Maggie is the dog's name. Maggie has diabetes. We have to give her a shot every day, twice a day. She has diabetes because she eats what I eat, chocolate and all the healthy stuff. But she teaches me about importunity. I'll be sitting on the couch reading, and she comes, and she's just standing right there at my feet. Ruff, ruff. What do you want? Ruff, ruff, ruff. She either wants something to eat or she wants to go outside. And I'm comfortable in my chair. Ruff, ruff, ruff. Oh, just a minute, just a minute. Ruff, ruff, ruff. Okay, okay, okay. Because of her importunity, I'll get up and deal with the dog. Importunity sometimes in prayer brings God's results. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Romans 12, 12, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. God wants to be part of the battle, and he wants us to call upon him consistently so he can be part of the battle. Victory will come, but not through our own strength. Question number three, who are we to pray for? Found in the same passage, 618. Watch it carefully. 
praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I need you to pray for me. You need me to pray for you. You need to pray for each other. Praying for each other, always. Praying for all saints. We ought to make it a habit at the church to make our requests known so that others can pray for us. I'll make a request known for you today that is something on my heart is to pray for my wife because she's beginning the stages of dementia. And I would request prayer. Why? Why would I request prayer? Because I know that prayer works. And I know that the fervent prayer of many will have an effect. And then I like this passage, pray for yourself. I love the passage. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. God cares for the needs that you have. And then, ask others to pray for you specifically. And I'm going to show you why. It's interesting. I just noticed this. Who would you consider to be the boldest Christian in the New Testament? Somebody give me a name. Paul. That's the name that comes to mind. Paul we consider to be the boldest person in the New Testament. But isn't it interesting that in this passage, he asked for people to pray that he might have boldness. Truth of the matter is, he may not have been all that bold of an individual, but because people were praying for him, God gave him boldness. Notice what it says. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, Paul said. And for me, pray for me that others may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He's asking all the people, pray for me. Pray that I might be bold as I stand before others. So ask others to pray for you. A number of years ago, the church that we had started in Memphis, Tennessee, we were meeting in a gymnasium that was owned by another church. It was actually owned by Free Will Baptist Church. Wonderful church, good man. <laughs> they actually were independent, though they were a Free Will Baptist Church. So we used to call them, it was Randall Memorial <clears throat> Free Will Baptist Church. So we said you ought to call it Randall Memorial Independent Free Will Baptist Church. But then they'd have to write that all the way around the bus. <clears throat> there wouldn't be enough room on one side. It was a wonderful church. They asked if I would work with their young people to prepare their youth choir for their conventions that they attended. Uh, the, the Free Will Baptist churches would get together and they, all the young people would come. They'd form choirs and each of the choirs would sing and they'd be judged and so forth. So I worked with their choir and had the opportunity of taking them to Missouri, to the Muehlebach Hotel. I'll never forget that meeting because Leonard Bravenhill was there to speak. If you've never read the book, Why Revival Tarries, I recommend it to anyone, especially anybody in ministry. Why Revival Tarries. But I had the opportunity of hearing him preach the book. There were probably 500 preachers there. Every one of us felt like crawling up under our pew and hiding. There's 
unbelievable message when he preaches, and particularly when he preaches on prayer. And much of the book is about prayer. Matter of fact, if you look up Leonard Ravenhill and put in Google Leonard Ravenhill prayer, there'll probably be about 50 different statements or quotes that come up regarding prayer that are quite convicting. Just so happens I have some right here. He said this, prayer is not the preparation for the battle. Oftentimes it is the battle to spend time in prayer. It's a battle. He said prayer is the most unexplored area in the Christian's life. We really don't know what power is available to us. He said prayerlessness is disobedience. For God commands that men ought always to pray and not faint. A command. Not to follow the command is disobedient. This is a longer statement. He said, no man is greater than his prayer life. A pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, but little passion. Many interferers, but few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. He said a sinning man will stop praying. A praying man will stop sinning. Matthew chapter 17. You'll turn there and look at verse 14. And following the importance of prayer. Matthew 17 and verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he is a lunatic and sore vexed. And oft times he falleth into the fire and oft times into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him. And then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Let me pause right here. As you read through the New Testament, there were times when the disciples had the power to heal people. But when this young man came, they could do nothing for him. I believe there's a possibility that they had become so used to the power that they had that they began trusting in themselves. We've done this before, we can do it again. But nothing happened. And so in verse 17, Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast him out? We've done it before. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto that mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. 
Howbeit, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. The thing that they had depended upon was what they had witnessed in the past. And it's a very dangerous thing to continue to live the Christian life in our own strength. But pray, 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 and depend upon God's power in everything that we do. So the question might be asked, Brother Steve, why do you bring these thoughts to us today? (laughs) It's my job. The reason I say that is because of two verses. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. And I'm edifying myself as much as you. And then 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them. There's not a thing I've mentioned this morning we did not know. Yea, I think it meet as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. You know, we say, boy, this world really does need to change, doesn't it? If it doesn't change, we're goners. That's not where God puts the emphasis. Second Chronicles 7.14, still in your Bible. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. If we have God's power upon our life, nothing can stop us. Father, I pray that these thoughts will be a challenge and encouragement. Lord, this church has a wonderful foundation. But may our foundation always be strong. May the foundation be our Lord Jesus Christ. May the foundation be the word of God. And may the foundation of this church be a body that fervently prays in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismembered. I mean dismissed. <laughs>